Hello, everybody. This is Pastor Dale Walker. I want to welcome you to our Leadership Podcast. We are looking at how to become leaders that lead like Jesus. I'm excited to have you listening. If you want the notes on this, you can get them at dalewalker.life. There's also a lot of other resources to help you grow in your leadership. Share this with someone if you are blessed. I know you will be. God bless you. So obviously with Valentine's weekend, I'm focusing in today on leading out of love. And Colossians 3.14, above all these things, put on love. Somebody say, put it on, (laughs) put it on right now, which binds everything together in, in perfect harmony. And so we know that as servant leaders modeling and creating an atmosphere, it's the love of Jesus that has the top priority. Uh, Paul said, make love your highest aim. So wherever you're leading, your highest aim is to walk in love, to create an environment of love. And today we're going to talk about those two things, how to take personal responsibility to keep your heart operating in love. And what are the actions that servant leaders take that, that creates a, you know, whether it's as a parent, as a, as a friend, as a, as a teacher, as a pastor, whatever environment you're in, uh, what creates that atmosphere Mm -hmm. of people wanting to love each other? That's the greatest thing you could ever create, Uh, especially for those who are parents, you know, how challenging that can be. Um, and, And so again, why is this so important? I believe our biggest servant leadership tests will be in the area of love. <laughs> Can we keep loving uh, after people gave us a lot of reasons not to keep loving? Um, it, it, it's First Corinthians 13 that says, you know, without love, somebody say we are what? <laughs> Nothing, right? Um, we're like an irritating sound, <laughs> whatever the most irritating sound you can think of, scratching on the board, I don't know what it is, but but that's what someone who's religiously talking, who's, who's like a Pharisee, you know, who's even teaching the Bible, yeah. but it's not out of love. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's out of some other kind of motive and it means nothing and, it, and it's actually harmful. So here's probably my biggest thesis today. If you really want to influence, we said leadership is influence. You know, nothing more, nothing less. It's not a title. It's not a position. It's salt. It's lighting up the room and flavoring the atmosphere. Okay, so uh, what, what is that about? Well, if you want to know how to have Jesus influence, the greatest way to have influence is to make help people feel the value that God has for them. We believe this as, our, as a church. Uh, I like that. Mother Teresa said, small things done with great love will change the world. Yeah. Uh, many years ago, you know, today, of course, is Love Lost Cruces to Life. And uh, read a, a book by Steve Shogren called Conspiracy of Kindness. It had a profound impact uh, on the ministry. It's actually one of the books I read right before we planted the church in Las Cruces. And uh, he was famous, he, he, you know, he said his, their strategy was this, they discovered if you will continually sow seeds of kindness in your community, 
you will eventually create an atmosphere where people are continually coming to Christ. When we started the church, we just, we were very intentional every week of what we're doing on Love Lost Cruises to Life, whether it's giving a cup of coffee, you know, every time you're in Starbucks, pay for the person behind you, whatever it is, you understood that if you could sow enough seeds of kindness in Jesus name, that eventually an atmosphere would change. And uh, that's kind of how we do church. And also, I just put here, our ultimate legacy will be how we loved. You know, whether it's our kids, the church, they're not going to remember whatever trophies we had in the case or uh, whatever we accomplished, but they will remember how you made them feel loved. And we often say people will forget almost everything you say. <laughs> and that's a challenge for us preachers, but but they will never forget how you made them feel. And, and that's just huge. And I, I think if we took a moment right now and you reflected back to some teacher in school or whatever, you could tell me within seconds uh, who you remember, and it would be whoever made you feel special. And uh, so just we just take that as whether we're getting gas and talking to the person or, or the waitress or waiter, whatever, um, we keep that in mind. Uh, how could I make them feel uh, that they are valued? Uh, God's way of loving them. Again, the famous quote, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And this has been the problem so often in the church. We are focused on what people should know. And it's very much easy to get motivated. Well, you should know this, you know, you, you know, get, get your act together and here's what's going on. And, and, and basically they don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. So how do you take, first of all, so let's talk about personal responsibility. And I think that we're going to go, this is pretty basic, but I think it's never, <laughs> it's never a bad idea to repeat the most basic thing. What is love? You know, what is love? And uh, the uh, difference between unconditional love and, and God's love. I'll just give you a few. This is uh, in case some of you would like a copy of this. This was a uh, hundred professionals tried to define love. And then they decided to ask four to eight year old children, what is love? And so here, here's some out of the mouth of, of babes, all right? Rebecca, AJ, love is when my grandmother got arthritis. She couldn't bend over to paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. I like that. Uh, I like this one. Um, love is when you go out to eat and give someone most of your French fries without making them give you any of theirs. Jerry, for age four. Isn't that powerful? Um, I like this one. Uh, love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt and he wears it every day. That's, that was Noel. <laughs> okay. Um, Emily eight says, love is when you kiss all the time. And when you get tired of kissing, yes, you still want to be together and talk. My mommy and daddy are like that. They look gross when they kiss. I like that. Um, I like this one. Marianne, love is when your puppy licks your face even after you've left him home all day. <laughs> uh, I heard this one. 
this is terrible, but it was, it was funny. I'm sorry. But they said, uh, if you want to know why dogs love more than people, uh, put both your lock your spouse and your dog in the trunk for four hours and see which one still wants to be with you when you let them out. But anyhow, uh, I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> uh, just a couple more. Love is what makes you keep smiling even when you are tired. Yeah. That was pretty good. Love is when someone, Billy H. forces, love is when somebody loves you the way they say your name is different. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you just know your name is safe in their mouth. Isn't that powerful? I thought that was brilliant. There was a contest for the most caring child in America. This is the one that, that won. A mom told the story of her four-year-old boy who went next door to an elderly man who lost his wife of 50-something years. When the boy got back, his mom asked, honey, what did you say to the old man next door? The boy said, nothing. I just helped him cry. Uh, I thought that was fantastic. But we know from the Bible that there, the Greek language has, has four words for love. And so I put those in your notes. The word storge, it just means natural affection, what you would feel for your baby. Um, phileo is mutual love, friendship. Eros means physical attraction, desire, whatever, whether it's sex or chocolate, whatever. It's just, I want that. <laughs> but then agape love is the key word. Uh, choosing to give people what they need, not what they deserve, regardless of the cost and consequences. So this is really important because uh, this is God's love. And so I think it's most beautifully affirmed in Romans 5a, while we were still sinners, yeah. uh, Christ died for us. While we were his enemies, while we were spitting in his face, nailing him to a cross, he said, don't lay this sin to their charge. Um, what I want to make a point, because I think that all Christians need to be so clear in their mind and committed up front, they know the difference between conditional. Because right now in our culture, what we've got <laughs> is people don't have a clue what love is, right? Uh, people say things like, I just fell in love. I mean, that sounds like falling in a ditch. Sounds like whatever that is. Um, but usually most of us were taught conditional love. And so it, it becomes natural to us. And even when Christians say love, Unfortunately, too often they mean conditional love. So here's an example. Conditional love. I have made a decision to love you, but it will be within the limitations of how I feel combined with what circumstances allow. I hope to be enthusiastic. I hope to enthusiastically like you and love you, but it will pin mainly on if I can keep that positive feeling <laughs> about you. And if you keep doing well, I commit to loving you. But want you to know you will pay if you do me wrong. I'm not going to let you take advantage of me. And I will do to you, good or bad, according to what you deserve and based on what you do for me. Right? Isn't that kind of what the world says? Uh, and when many couples say, I love you, that's what they really mean. Agape, unconditional love. I have made a decision to do what's best for you, regardless of my emotions or circumstances. 
I have chosen to enthusiastically love you. And it isn't based on how I feel about you or how you are performing. I will always endeavor to love you and others with God's love and respond to your failures or that of others in a Christ-like and redemptive matter. <laughs> I, I, liked, I just added this because, of course, agape love comes from God's love. And, and so here's how I articulate what God says about love. I will always love you. I don't love you because you're lovable. I love you because I am love. I have already forgiven your sins in advance on the cross. As a gift, I give you my righteousness, the right to step freely by faith into a place of my extravagant favor. You may forsake me, but I will never forsake you. If you make your bed in hell, I will be there looking for you. And I can't help but think of Diana's testimony a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> his extravagant love. I suffered the most excruciating death and separation for the joy of being able to be in a position with you forever and ever where I get to pour out my extravagant kindness. In my son, Jesus, you are irresistible to me. I delight, sing over you and lean in to hold you close. I have gone before you to rig things in your favor as we walk together. No. You aren't just you. You are my beloved Dale, or put your name in there right now. Um, in that, in that, so important because the reality is, how do you learn how to love? It doesn't come from us. We can know what it is, but we don't have the, the ability unless the spirit shapes that love. And this really is, right? This is really a lifetime process where the Holy Spirit um, daily exposes our selfish love yeah. and, and, and he melts it away. And uh, somebody say, I'm still a work in progress, right? <laughs> that's, that's for sure me, you know. And I, get to, I get to look at the end of the day every day and say, not there yet. <laughs> not there yet. Um, but the, the root of it is, we know, it is being shaped by an awareness of God's love for us. We love because he first loved us. So again, your first responsibility, here's your biggest task as a leader. Most important thing you ever do, let God love you. That's it. <laughs> if you don't do that well, none of this works. Nothing works unless you walk in his favor. And and every way you can grasp that and, 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 and let that be big inside of your mind. I, I quote Ephesians 3.16 on the Passion Translation. Let's just read it. I love this. It says, then by constantly using your faith. How many know you have to sometimes receive God's love by faith because you don't feel lovable? Right? Uh, that's my biggest struggle in life is I wake up and I don't feel lovable. So what do I do? I assume God's mad at me, <laughs> or I assume, you know, have you ever had one of those days where you feel like, boy, if I called heaven right now, the Lord would just have an angel answer and say, hey, it's Walker, put him on hold. I don't have time right now. I mean, all of us have had that feeling like we just don't really measure up. Why? Because we believe lies. So it takes faith to internalize God's love every day. And it's the most important thing I'm telling you, the most important thing that you do. Uh, I, I encourage you to write yourself some declaration. Uh, this is so big, whatever. If it's as simple as, good morning, Jesus, 
I am your beloved Dale, who you delight. Or some of people like the, the Mary one. Hail Mary, you know, you are highly favored and chosen. You are whatever it is, but you're, you're going to need to work on, on this a lot. Uh, so Ephesians says, then by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside of you. And the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. Then you will be empowered. I circled the word empowered to discover what every Holy One experiences, the great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions, how deep, intimate, and far-reaching is his love, mm -hmm. how enduring and inclusive it yeah. is, endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. Isn't that beautiful? That's how you love. This extravagant love flows into you until you're full of the fullness of God. And then if you do that in the morning, chances are those people you meet when you leave your house are going to feel it. Yeah. Secondly, in a very practical way, here's where this stuff gets tough. I believe walking in love is taking personal responsibility to choose to live with an unoffendable heart. Yeah. Can I just declare to you one of the things that's true in the new covenant is I will give you a new heart. And that new heart, the Bible says, is has his laws written. What is, what is the laws? Love, right? Isn't that the greatest law? of God. And part of that is a heart that doesn't get stumbled. And you know how I've said this before, where two or three get together in my name, eventually someone gets mad. Um, you know, John Bevere wrote a book about this. And I thought it was so insightful. He says, the enemy knows the most successful way to up into the into Christian is to get them focused on how they have been hurt or offended. He doesn't even need boulders. Small rocks will do. Most people stumble over something so small, so stupid, and yet it changes their entire destiny because they let it get under their skin. Yeah. Paul said in Acts 24, herein do I exercise myself to always have a conscience void of offense towards God and towards men. It was interesting that in a study that was done, why people leave the church. 10% leave because they die. I guess that's a legitimate uh, reason. Anyhow, but 12% prefer another church. 12% is a job relocation. 66% became offended been out of shape and almost none of them admitted that they were ever offended. <laughs> what did they admit? Some other excuse. Now, what I'm saying is, you know, it's not a sin for someone to leave the church. It's just a tragedy when they don't ever honestly say, Hey, I was offended and I'm not going anywhere with an offended heart. Because what happens with an offended heart? You go straight to the wilderness like the children of Israel and you wander around. You become like Cain who has a, the mark on him. 
who becomes a fugitive, restless, useless. And, and there are millions of Christians today. And, and I just, uh, so how do you do this? Number one, I believe you have to have solid spiritual armor on the outside so you can keep a tender and soft heart on the inside. When I started the ministry, someone said, you need a thick, a thick hide and a soft heart. How do you do that? Do you thick, thick skin and soft hearts. How do you keep those for your whole life? Uh, I can take a licking and keep ticking and still actually feel warmth, compassion, even towards my offender. Um, it's not easy, okay? Uh, I like what Mark Batterson said. The key to, it says, it's much easier to act like a Christian than react like one. Isn't that true? If, if I'm in charge and I'm acting like a Christian, it's good, but it's those reactions that kill me. You know? <laughs> Somebody takes my parking spot. <laughs> Okay, so, so how do you handle the reaction issue? Well, commit in advance to what your response of love will be. Agape love is never reaction. It is always a grace-filled chosen response. It is not human nature to react with agape. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what does that mean? That by faith, you... Choose in advance how you respond to offenses. Now, don't waste an offense. Every time you were offended, say, oh, next time, whether you did well or not, how many know you can learn a lot from mistakes, all right? So don't waste a mistake because you don't need to keep making it too many times. So you say, how did I respond? Now, what's my game plan for the next time that one happens? Write it down, practice, practice, practice. You know what I'm saying? Uh, since it's Super Bowl Sunday too, I'm going to interview with Tom Brady and they're trying to figure out what made him such a great quarterback. And one of the things that he said is, I thought it was just, I thought it applied here, but he just said, before, I, before the ball is ever snapped, I know exactly where I'm going to throw it. I've prepared to the, the hilt, I, I, I know in my mind what part of the field so that no matter what chaos happens when the snap happens, I'm not thinking about how I'm going to react. I've, I'm already there. I'm already, I thought, boy, that's, that's wisdom, isn't it? It's, it's that you have chosen in advance. Um, this is what I do. Ruth Haley Barton says, the key to successful long-term community and relationships lie in a willingness to make every concrete commitment. Excuse me, I got to check my phone. Someone might be texting me <laughs> that I'm locked out. I hope not. Okay, good. It's all right. <laughs> Last week, I ignored my text and poor Deanna was in the cold. All right. Uh, make concrete commitments how you will handle inevitable conflict. You know what's so funny? How many of you ever act surprised when a conflict happens, right? Where did that happen? You know, I can't believe it happened. I can't believe she got mad at me. Uh, hello, <laughs> this is like the 50th time that happened. You know, smell the coffee, dude, whatever it is. But you know, rather than say conflict is inevitable. Yeah. It's going to happen. 
People are going to disappoint me. I'm going to be let down. Okay. God, show me what your plan is for me when conflict comes. Um, John Maxwell told a story of his dad, Melvin, and he was, uh, he was really attacked by this man at work and spread all kinds of lies. And later in an in a request, someone asked him, what do you think of so-and-so, the man who had done all of this wrong to him? And he said, I think he's a good man. Well, someone said, how on earth could you say he's a good man after all the things he said about you? And, and Melvin said, I just love it. He says, you didn't ask me. You asked me what I thought of him. You didn't ask me what he thought of me. <laughs> In other words, he decided what this man thought of me is not going to control what I think about him. Isn't that powerful? That's maturity, see? That says you're almost ready to be a leader <laughs> when you can handle it uh, in that way. I, I put it here, number two, you have to believe in conflict transformation. And I just like that word a little bit, which means most of the greatest things God ever does in relationships is through conflict. Yeah. Conflict that gets transformed Absolutely. instead of conflict that it allow, is allowed, allows bitterness to get in. Um, can you agree that some of your, your greatest uh, connections were after making up when there was a bad argument, right? And, and, and it's, the, it's the idea that there is going to be a transformation that God never wastes the tears. We preached last Sunday. Um, this, I believe, is a faith thing. And I quote it this way, God, you have allowed and intended to use every conflict that ever comes in my life that could potentially be an offense to some way bring the unfolding of your perfect plan to make me like Christ and show the power of your love to a hurting world. Well, yeah. See, it's a faith thing. Isn't that powerful? It's, it's it, you know, these great Christian choices are all faith. That's what faith is. It's not a feeling, never will be, never has been. But it is a, a declaration of faith. Hi, Donna, good to see you. And so just give you an example of this kind of maturity. Francis, uh, Frank Pang, I, hi I highly recommend him. And uh, I'm going to quote from him, but he, he wrote some incredible things on the unoffendable heart. And if you like to do some search sometime, uh, look up Francis, Frank Pang. But um, one time he and his wife were at a conference and the pastor, whatever, greeted everyone around. And everybody saw that the pastor intentionally ignored them, right? And, and it was like a snub. And so afterwards, he was kind of processing it with his wife. And his wife said, I believe that God allowed that because he wants to invest in our growing in sensitivity to others who are treated rudely that we will meet in the future. <laughs> and when we meet them, we will have received grace to help them get over that hurt. Isn't that a great attitude? I just, I just love that. I, can I just tell you, I don't know if I'm there yet. All right. So <laughs> I want to be completely honest. I'm trying, but you know, to really say, okay, God, you are the conflict transformation source. And so, God, I, I refuse, like, like Joseph did, I refuse to let the last word be some kind of declaration of a curse. 
Well, I would have been good, but that person ruined my life. Uh, I got screwed. I got messed up by them. And that's it. I'm, I, 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 I now have an excuse for living below my potential yeah. and, and I'll never get over that and I'll never try. No, no, that, that is no, that is no trespassing ground for my spirit because I understand that being a servant leader means giving up the right to have an offended heart. And it's just done. It's just done. I swear on the Holy Bible, whatever it is, I just am done. I, I just has to be uh, that, that way. Um, so uh, yeah, you're asking about Francis Frank, Frank Payne, F-R-A-N-G-I, P-A-N-E. Um, so here's, here's how you put on the armor. Here's three heavy spiritual metal armor items of pre-commitment. So like I said, you're going to have to have good armor and a soft heart. Number one, I already described this, a decision to have a forgiving spirit. And there is a difference between being willing to forgive and having a forgiving spirit. A forgiving spirit is advanced forgiveness. It is, uh, you know, it is just, uh, you know, I heard this couple, this wife said, how did you and your husband stay together so long? And, and she said, well, she said, I told him that during our marriage, he had 10 chances. And, uh, if he, if he, if he did it 10 times, whatever, you know, that was it, you know? So, uh, so she says, well, what happened? She said, well, when something happens, I'll say, that's one. And, and, and then what do I do? Well, that's two. But then she said, what do you do the third time? I said, that's one because I forget the other two. So we've never got to 10 yet. So I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> we've been married 50 years, but we never got to 10. Good. Uh, refuse to let false expectations control you. Can I tell you, false expectations are key ways that the enemy stumbles our relationships. How many times have you heard someone say, well, I thought or I expected. Well, wait a second. Before you go, go haywire here, let's look at your expectations. Because if you allow yourself to have wrong expectations, you're going to be offended a lot. Jesus really helped us with some expectations. He says, you shall be hated by all men for my sake. Okay, that'll, that'll shift some expectations. Wow, they didn't like me at work. Well, uh, you know, he said it. Uh, many are called and few are chosen. What is he saying? He's saying, you know what happened to me? I called all these people. Remember near the end of his life, he, he got down to 12 and then he got down to, to three and, uh, you know, he's just saying, people are going to leave you. People are going to let you down. And uh, you're, you're going to really think this person, we're friends forever. And then they're, someday they're going to be gone. And so what, why am I saying that? I'm not putting a downer on this. Uh, one of the things I learned is, uh, rejoice with those who stayed. Rejoice for those who stayed. <laughs> uh, you know, I could spend a lot of my time. I could tell you a hundred stories if I let myself go there. 
man, I counseled that family. I, you know, I bought them a car, whatever. One day they went gossiped and left me, whatever. Or I could tell you, man, there are some incredible people. And uh, can you imagine Irma's been with me almost 20 years? You know, she's been there at the church and I, I, I've given her plenty of reasons to get offended, but she's, you know, you can just go whatever way you want on that. But the most important is look at your expectations. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Pull the weeds in their garden every day. I want to say this over and over. Uh, offenses come in like stealth missiles. You don't see them. And, and the enemy is so crafty. Uh, don't live in denial. Yeah. Don't say, oh, I'm okay. I'm good. I'm good. No, you're not good. You're human. And, and humans get hurt. And, and it, it just means you have to pull that weed. So don't go to sleep until you pulled all the weeds. And, and that'll help you. Keep a positive faith, what you meant for evil, what others meant for evil. God, that's Joseph's quote. What you meant for evil, God still means for good. So that's a personal responsibility. That's pretty tough already. Okay. Now, as a leader, here are key ways to be a servant leader who creates environments of love, whether it's with your kids, whether it's with your friendships. What makes you a great leader is... If someone ever tells you this, hey, everybody loves each other more when she's around. <laughs> you know, you're, you're growing as a leader. Man, our little transformation table, everybody is loving each other more. Well, that happens because somebody is, is intentionally working to create that atmosphere. So number one, embrace the role of a peacemaker. What makes you a leader? A leader is someone who goes from a peacekeeper to a peacemaker. A peacekeeper is someone very important. You don't hold grudges, you're kind, but being a peacemaker is another level. I think it's so interesting that Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. They shall be called the children of the son. The word there is they shall be called the mature ones who now represent the heart of God. They're not babies. They're not infants. They have matured and they grow up. Um, you know, you say that about the fire department. Uh, there are those who run from the fire and there are those who run to the fire. And there are those who are, uh, you know, conflict avoiders. <laughs> and then there are those who are conflict resolvers. How I many know it's another level, right? And some of us will just say this and we think it's being like Jesus. Well, I, I just avoid that kind of stuff. Well, that's, I'm sorry, that's not like Jesus. He, he didn't say, you know, there's a lot of conflict in the world. I think I'll just avoid that. That could be really hairy. And he, you know, he jumped right in the middle of it to reconcile people who hated each other and, and, and so forth. What this means is you go to a level of love that requires walking in truth. You cannot have full expression of love without truth, and you can't have truth that heals without love. Peacemaking is never avoidance. It's not a don't rock the boat mentality. Peace, I, here's an important quote, peace must be made, never just assumed. There is not peace until peace is made. 
Can I just tell you one of the main excuses we have? Well, we're just going to let this go and, and, and it'll take care of itself. Let bygones be bygones. You know what? Doesn't work. I wish it worked. I wish. I, have you ever been so surprised that when you finally got in an argument with somebody, they brought up 20 years ago? <laughs> Wait a second. I thought I thought bygones were bygones. No, no, they weren't bygones. They they were just stored in that little special bag as bullets for such a time as this. You know. No peace is made. Peace is made. Peace is when, yes, this is on the table. I forgive you and you forgive me. Done, settled, buried. Oh, yeah. Okay. Peace. That's something totally different than what most people get. Peacemaking is always messy and always worth it. And so here's the thing that I say, what makes you a leader? <laughs> Some of us, all of us don't like messy. All of us don't like messy. And when you're a pastor at, of any level, it's going to happen. You're going to be at the table and all of a sudden you're going to see two people all of a sudden, ooh, uh, that was not a good exchange. And you're going to watch them slowly start to separate. This is an incredibly challenging moment. If you're their, if you're their table leader, their, their life group leader, it's so easy to say, well, that's not my issue. No, you give up the right to be neutral because Jesus wants to heal something. Mm -hmm. And he's going to invite you to help them. And, and you're going to step into that in a humble, praying like crazy and, and try to help people. Philippians 2, Paul says, I urge you, come on, Yodius and Syntyche are fighting. Please, would you please go talk to those women? Please. Uh, someone called those two ladies, uh, uh, you are odious and you are soon touchy. And they, you know, they're, they're in that's fighting, you know. And so he says, no, brothers, sisters, will you help them? Please help them. Because the body of Christ is getting slowed down. It's, it's, uh, the, there's molasses in the gears. This thing isn't going to work. Jesus isn't going to be felt in this, in this meeting like he was because this unresolved conflict is brewing a poison. So here's some peacemaking principles. Teach people the way of peace. We've got to talk about this with the people we lead. Just say, look, our future depends on us all knowing how to make peace. Here's how you, you make peace. Number one, you, it starts just with environments. Always put water on fire, never bring gasoline. I always like to tell people that when there is a negative thing happening in a room, some people bring water and some people bring gasoline. <laughs> some people put out the fire. And have you ever been with people? It was a little issue. And five minutes later, it became, you know, Smokey Bear didn't even come in the room, you know, so crazy. What happened? Well, you just met a person with a gasoline tank, right? They, well, yeah. And you know what else they did? Oh, yeah. So environments are all about words. If the words are wrong, that's what Jesus, what James says. It, a small spark with, of words will start a whole forest on fire. So you teach people. And sometimes you have to correct people. One, one pastor said, 
You know, Paul told us to correct, re rebuke, and, and encourage. Now, we like the encourage one. We just want to pretend that he never said rebuke uh, and correct. Let's, let's leave that one out of it. No, that, you, nobody grows up. If you had children, you know, if you never corrected them, you would have some real brats. So you have to say, wait a second. I love you, friend. That hurt. I think that word was hurtful. I think you put gasoline on that fire. And please, let's, let's be guardians of the unity. That's what Jesus called us yeah. to be. Be guardians of the unity. We're all responsible for this unity here. And when someone breaks it, we have to speak up. Remember the Spanish proverb. The person who gossips to you about someone else will one day gossip to someone else about you. So I think always that's a good one to remember too. So you want to help them stop gossiping now. Teach the danger of offenses. I mentioned that it's spiritual cancer. Have rules of operation. I already described that. Say you have those for your own heart. Now do you have them in your group? So let me just say very practically, when we do home safe home rules, uh, I really encourage us to, to add to that conflict resolution rules. By the way, we're going to try to keep this safe. But when this turns into some kind of conflict, everybody, we are going to obey Matthew 18, 15. We are not going to let the sun go down and destroy our group. So we're telling you, you're going to privately try. And if you're not able, I'll go with you. But we're going to get this thing worked out because we're going to go to heaven together loving each other. That's our commitment. Accept the fact that it's messy, but decide you're going to do what Jesus tells us to. Number one, you're going to take the initiative. Even if they are 95% wrong and you're only 5% wrong. <laughs> Guess what? Matthew 5.23 says, leave your offering at church and go make things better. Attack issues, never people. Can I tell you, when you have these conversations, you don't use words like, you gossiped about me. <laughs> you cheated. You broke my trip. You know, you say, um, let's attack a problem. I feel there's a wall between us. I don't feel the peace that we used to have. Could we talk about that? Now, here's what I'm feeling, and I want you to tell me if I'm wrong. I felt when you said that, that it, it, was, it was an attack on me, and it, and it caused me to react and feel really wrong. You may not have meant it. You may not have known that you said something wrong, but I care about you, and I care about our relationship enough to try to bring it to the light, even though this is uncomfortable, this is embarrassing, but I want you and I to be good. How did you see that situation? And be ready to listen for as long <laughs> as they want to tell you why you, you got it all wrong or whatever they're going to tell you. But at least you got it all out there. And it's open now. And then at, as you do that, what do you do? You say, could we define an agreed upon outcome of this situation? How, how do you think this is going to be resolved? Could we both you know, don't you decide it's resolved without making sure it's resolved with them, right? So how would this look for us to resolve it? Well, well, I forgive you. Okay, I forgive. Is, are we good now? And okay, so this is done. This is done. 
Praise the Lord. And then we let it go. So that's just an idea. Let's go beyond that because that's getting kind of painful. So tools for creating an environment of love. We're almost done here. Number, number one, make love your highest value. Just say, you know, I don't know if you do this, if you have children, I, we had our family values and whatever your family values are, our number one value is love. <laughs> if you're a classroom teacher, say, hey, everybody, our values, number one is love. We treat each other with respect always. And, and it's just always there. So at Heart for the World, we always say, we are a church for the world. We are for you. We're not trying to be the best church in the city, but we're, we are the best church for the city. So you want to emphasize that this is what matters most to you. Um, you know, I, I get that tested in my marriage, other places. My highest value is not getting you to agree with me. My highest value is not you making me happy. My highest value is that I walk in love with you until the day we go to be with Jesus. And, and I will give up anything, including losing arguments in order to have that value uh, maintained because that's all that's going to be remembered anyhow, right? Uh, you create that environment by striving to appreciate people. Appreciation is one of the most powerful ways you express the value of people. So don't, don't waste an opportunity. Even when people do something really small, uh, Man, you can add to the environment so much just by truly being thankful in, a, in an expressive way. You know, well, whatever that means, that means, wow, you did a good job waiting on us. I got to give you an extra tip. Whatever it is, I'm gonna I'm gonna comment. You know that this is a ten star restaurant. I'm gonna, but anything you do will create that sense of appreciation. Um, William James said, the deepest principle of human nature is the craving to be appreciated. Can, can you know this about every person? They are craving to be appreciated. <laughs> They're craving that. Always see your role in any room as the initiator. Great book by Bob Goff called Love Does. And I just love that little simple phrase. He says, love doesn't say, love doesn't think, love does. <laughs> love acts. It's not love until you do something. And, and however little, love is not waiting, is not reacting. It's not when you do something, I will do something. No, love always goes first. I, I one time told the Lord, you know, relationships, I just said, Lord, why do I have to always die first? You know, why do I have to die to myself first? Can my wife die one time first? <laughs> She eventually dies, but I always got to fall on that sword first. And I hate that. Uh, basically, he said, get over it, Dale. So anyhow, I guess that's not going anywhere. But um, assure people of unconditional love. Again, Francis Assisi said, where there is hatred, I will so love. I will seek not to be understood, but to understand, not to be loved, but to love, not to be forgiven, but to forgive. For it isn't giving that we receive. It isn't dying that we are born to eternal life. Yeah. I think this idea of assuring people of unconditional love is so important. 
especially during the times when my kids went through rebellion, just to let them know, hey, I'm not, I'm not digging that, but I will always love you. You are always going to be my heart. Uh, you know, you're with an atheist friend. You're with someone whose lifestyle is really grievous. You say, hey, you, got, hey, you know my values, but you know what? doesn't matter. You're my friend. I love you unconditionally. Uh, I, I don't ju judge you. I don't condemn you. I don't gossip about you. I don't think I'm better than you. I just am trying to do what Jesus would do. And he died for you when you were a jerk. <laughs> so I, I, I will too. You, know, you might not use that phrase. That's not that good. But anyhow, the point of it is unconditional love. And uh, I, I wrote this. I think it's uh, something that I keep with me, a memo. If anybody wants a, a copy of this, I won't go into it, but you've heard me say it. Dear congregation, I am your pastor. When you rise to your highest and best, I am your pastor. When you yield to temptation and fall to your lowest, I am your pastor. When you live in the spirit, manifest the attitude of a Christian, I am your pastor. When for a time you sink to the level of the flesh, I am your pastor. When you walk in the pathway of duty and do God's will, I am your pastor. When you enter that path of disobedience, I'm your pastor. When joys come to you that swell the notes of praise in your heart, I'm your pastor. And when sorrow comes as dark shroud over your life, I'm your pastor. When you've done your best and deserve the approbation of others, I'm your pastor. When you've, when you've done your best and good is spoken of as evil, I'm your pastor. When you have all you need and more of the necessities of life, I'm your pastor. When you feel the pinch of poverty and your power to earn just decreases, I'm your pastor. When you remain sweet and gracious as a mature Christian ought, I'm your pastor. When you act childish over some real or imagined wrong, I'm your pastor. When everything goes right and you have not a care in the world, I'm your pastor. When nothing seems right and burdens multiply, I'm your pastor. When you please me by the stand you take and the wonderful spirit you manifest, I'm your pastor. When you disappoint me and cause me sleepless nights, I'm your pastor. When you're living life to the fullest, I'm your pastor. When your health fails and the end of mortal life seems near, I'm your pastor. When I reveal that I am human and have my own weaknesses and infirmities and you are charitable and understanding, then I count it especially a privilege to be your pastor. Anyhow, I, I, I've always liked that because it reminds me this is not about winning this is about loving people period and sometimes it ends really like i wanted it to and sometimes it doesn't but that doesn't change how we're called to love uh, one of our heirs is one of our goals is to always be completely present can i just give you this challenge if you want to influence people don't just be nice nurture them okay i'm going to tell you something. This is not codependent. This is, this is huge. And this is an art. And if you get good at this, you're going to have incredible uh, influence with people. You know, if you'll watch kids are so good at this, you watch kids and they're around adults, they will always go to the nurturer. <laughs> uh, you'll see them run to Sharon because they, they know who in this room loves them the most. They, they got it like that. And you know what? The little kid and every adult is the same way. 
And so what does it mean to nurture somebody? It, it means to be completely present. It means to, even before you start talking to someone, just to value them, just to have something. I, I like to have these little words in my mind. Uh, I, I use this one sometimes. Deanna comes in the room. I say, that's the disciple Jesus loves. Okay. This is not just, Deanna came in the room. This is someone worthy of, of Jesus' love. What does that do? And I don't always do it well at all, but it just suddenly changes. We are not having an interaction. Someone's not coming and asking me, where's, where's the back door to this place? No, they may be asking me that, but what I'm hearing is they're asking me, tell me I'm important. Notice me, something like that. And it, and it takes just a tiny step beyond the natural interactions. And I go through all of this time because I, I'm trying to tell myself, I'm going to ask Rita to make some phone calls for me. Dale, this is not just about a transaction where you make phone calls. This is, oh, and Rita is the disciple Jesus loves. So when I ask her, Make phone, will you make a phone call for me? If I just say that as if she was just a machine, uh, I have failed. But if I say that same thing, and even if it's just I remember for that instant, here's a person worthy of love, that creates a nurturing spirit. Um, we use that phrase sometimes put a tin on people's head. How you look at people. How many know if someone disdains you, no matter what they say, you feel it, right? The same way if someone believes in you, they feel it instantly. They feel whether you hold them in high regard or low regard. They, they feel if you think they're a inconvenience. <laughs> they feel if you think they're a pain in the neck. They feel if you think they're amazing. They feel it. And remember what I said, they will forget everything you said, but they'll never forget the feeling of that. Always decide to err on mercy. Trust people more than they should be trusted. I, I like to say around here, trust is not something you have to earn. We choose to give it to you up front. But trust, trust is something you can't disearn <laughs> if after a while. But, but we don't make you earn it. We say, you got it, but you, you, know, you got you to gotta be able to... Uh, to live up to that over time. And then lastly was, was what we've talked about so many times. Listening is the heartbeat of love. How you listen is how you love. And so all I thought we'd do today is to give you a good listener test. So what my question is, decide which one of these you most need to work on, all right? Or <laughs> one or two of these. So let me just read them. Do I allow the speaker to finish without interrupting? Do I listen between the lines for subtext? Do I actively try to retain important facts? When listening to a message, do I listen for and set down the important facts and phrases? Do I repeat the details of an interview to the subject in order to get everything right? Do I avoid getting hostile and agitated when I disagree with the speaker. Basically, do I just completely hear them out <laughs> and give them the benefit of the doubt? So anyhow, I don't know if any of those are things you could work on, but 
we want to have that discussion here. So here was just a few uh, questions for discussion. Describe an experience of being unconditionally loved, especially by God, because I said all love begins with experiencing love. So how have you experienced God's unconditional love recently? And I want you just to lean in on that for a second, because that's the key to your, your input is the key to your output. Uh, how do you nurture that awareness of God's love for you? Just think about it. How do, how, how do you nurture it? What, how do you make it personal in your life? If you have any thoughts on that, how do you really make God's love personal? I, I hope that maybe at least sometime every week you're talking and you're just thanking God. You know, sometimes it's more important to not only say to God, these are all the ways I love you, but to say, here's all the ways you love me. Um, I will do this all the time with songs. <laughs> There are, there are songs we sing to God and I sing them back to myself from God. <laughs> uh, now, I don't just, you know, I'm not going to just sing, I love you, Lord. I'll just, then I'll turn around and sing, I love you, Dale, and let the Lord sing it back to me. Any, any way I can do that, uh, uh, I'm trying to nurture, because if I don't feel cherished, I won't be successful cherishing others. Anything stood out to you, you can discuss. If you see your heart as a garden, what would be a weed you have to be intentional to continually recognize and pull out? Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's harsh words. I need to apologize because when I come to the end of the day and I look at my garden and, and what got sowed today, uh, I, I'll have to on a regular basis, uh, notice that I said something too harshly and go pull that weed out by apologizing. Or maybe it's, I, I notice that I dwell on something somebody did and I'm reliving it. I'm playing the rerun of that. Okay, I need to go ahead and, and pull that one out of my heart. You know what I'm saying? You can think of many things. What, what does the devil try to get in your heart that chokes out love is what I'm, what I'm asking. And then go over the listening question. Was there one that you feel, boy, I could, I could become better at listening and uh, work on and, and kind of just share a little bit why uh, that would be the case. So uh, awesome, beautiful. Uh, let's take a minute to discuss. Um, Bernabe isn't here today. So for today's, I think we'll just have to keep all of us <laughs> together uh, on the uh, screen. And uh, we'll, we'll go from there. Just, uh, could I just invite uh, Irma, would you mind being the facilitator, keep things going for the uh, group? Would you mind doing that? Okay, well, if you all go ahead and, and we'll have a little talk in here. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Pastor Dale's Leadership Podcast. It is our hope that you have been inspired in a great way. We encourage you to stay tuned for future content. May God bless you richly.